Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues, a conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. It's kind of amazing when you think about how long you've been, let's say, listening to like a particular band or following certain careers and not realizing it's been about, oh gosh, like what, six years uh, since uh, the first EP Wonderlust, which since then your band Dreamcatcher has gone through several incarnations, both musically, personally, and just even in terms of its lineup. And I think the music and as well as your story, it, it's pretty interesting. And I'm very excited to talk to you about all of it. And just recently, they've released two singles, Burning Up and Underneath, which I'm going to try my best not to gush as much as I want to, <laughs> because Burning Up was like this really fun pop banger, but Mm-hmm. Underneath is a fucking anthem, pardon my French. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get into all of those, but first off, welcome Chelsea Tyler, who is the vocalist guitarist of Dreamcatcher. So welcome. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Like I didn't realize how long it had been since that initial EP and mm-hmm. going through the different incarnations and realizing just how remarkable that all is. What I often talk about in this show is... Not even just necessarily the product that a creator makes, but also just the journey it takes to make it. Because I think that's something that as fans of whether it be music or books or movies and things of that nature, we maybe Mm -hmm. don't always get to know as much of that. So I always appreciate any time a creator is willing to talk about those things. So with that said, thank you very much for sitting down and sharing your story with me. I'm excited to do so. I, uh, I feel the same way. Like, I've been really into uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and all her work on like television and film and everything. And just listening to things that she says about her process is super fascinating as a fan of any form of art at all. And so, uh, yeah, I just appreciate you having me. I figured before we start with the new singles, which we'll definitely get into, I, I mm-hmm. do want to start a little bit with 2013 when I had first heard the single June off of Wonderlust, I, I immediately became enthralled with the band's sound because that song has never really left my rotation, or that oh. EP in general. And I know you probably hear this a lot, but it had a particular depth and introspection that mm-hmm. I think sometimes maybe gets overlooked in terms of like indie rock. In a superficial way, the new stuff is very different from Hold Your Love or Wonderlust, just on the surface, but Everything that we do is very much from the heart and for a reason. Like, we're not a band that's sugarcoating things. I think you can hear that, especially in Hold Your Love, which is our debut record. It's just honest. I don't know how to write any other way. I'm not someone who sits in a room and I'm like, let's write a hook, let's write a hook, let's write a hook. Luckily, we're working with people who are able to work with me to turn these like thoughts into hooks which has been a blast just in a songwriting way, but it all comes from the very beginning of this band to the very day that, you know, we cease to exist, not the band, but as people, like it all has to be honest or what are we doing? Right, exactly. And a word I often use in describing your music and the few write-ups and even just in my own head is evolution or the process of evolving. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, from Wonderlust and then some of the singles in between leading up to the debut Hold Your Love started to evolve into more of like an alt-pop sound. Very dark, very atmospheric. Mm -hmm. And while you could definitely see the building blocks from like what came before, but it was fascinating to me just how the identity of the band changed but still stayed within those parameters of honesty. And especially given Mm -hmm. the fact that To maintain that level of naked honesty, 
isn't mm-hmm. something that a lot of people are comfortable with doing. So I don't know yeah. if that's something that has been a challenge for you with each iteration of the band. With Wonderless, we started this band as the three of us, and Craig and I had been in a band prior, and Brian was in a different band, but had always written with us and produced mine and Craig's music. And so when we started Dreamcatcher, it was my band and Craig's band. And the idea was that the two of us were the band, and Brian was going to play guitar and produce and co-write and everything, but he was busy with other things and that changed. And so Wonderlust for us was freedom. It was the first time that we ever really allowed ourselves to take on this role of let's be anything. We, we've from the very first day of this band, we wanted to be a pop band. That's the thing that I think you can trace it to the earliest interviews I ever did for this band. The earliest things I ever said, what I told producers, everything was Dreamcatcher is a pop band. Like that has to be known. It has to be something that is so firm in the foundation of this. Right. But we didn't know how to make it sound like radio pop, like, you know, like a Kesha or something. And I'm a big fan of Kesha. I like her early work. I love her newer work. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of Katy Perry. I'm a fan of, I I love Beyonce. I love pop music and not to say that i don't love dashboard or you know these kind of emo bands or anything like that because i grew up in the warp tour atmosphere i grew up with pop punk and pop punk is punk first and foremost and for us like we're a punk pop band like punk is honest it's real it's gonna fight the system it's gonna say something that might not be great to say but it's honest and it's raw and it's real Exactly. And Dreamcatcher is punk in that aspect. Like our spirit is that, but we love pop music. I want to dance. I want to dance and cry. I don't want to just, you know, rage all the time. I want to feel this varied mix of emotions. And pop has always been this dirty word, but it's not. Pop is anything. Pop is everything. And we just really, from the very beginning of this band, that was the goal. And the other goal, which in my opinion as an artist is way more important, is that your work has to be honest. It's not real if it's not. Like, who am I to tell you to get up and dance if I'm not being honest about wanting to get up and dance? Terrible analogy, but if I don't mean what I say, I have no business saying it. And I firmly believe that as an artist or as a human, like, I don't want to lie. I don't want to be anything other than what I am. I can't be anything else. I want to grow and I want to develop this thing that I am. I don't want to lie to do it. You know, I just have never wanted that. I've always seen music as an outlet to be the real me and to be very honest in my work and even saying things that I don't tell the other guys what exactly they mean because they're so important for me to get out and whether it doesn't matter to anyone else what these things are it matters what the listener thinks what their perspective is because once the art is out it's not mine it's yours to interpret my job is to be honest with you and to hopefully connect with you on what you're feeling and know that you're not alone in feeling that. And I'm also not alone in feeling that it goes both ways. That's very profound. And something uh, you said that I was thinking of, and I think is really interesting is pop as a dirty word. And um, Mm -hmm. the other podcast I do talking like a teen, we kind of go through some of the music from, like you said, that Warped Tour era. Mm -hmm. And I remember being that kid or even like, you know, in my early twenties, the line I use is, I have this complicated relationship with pop music. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I grew up with 80s pop and even some of the 90s pop. But then, mm-hmm. like, as you get towards the late 90s, I got very opinionated, you know, mm-hmm. especially when it came to, like, let's say, 
the Britney Spears or Christ, you know, Christina Aguilera and sync kind of era of pop. Oh yeah. And then anytime like a band that was, let's say, a little bit more punk, a little bit more rough around the edges, as they sort of grew and their sounds became more polished, you know, it was very hard to not cop that attitude of, oh, well, now they're going to pop now because, you know, of course they want to go. They sold out. Exactly. They sold out. And now Mm -hmm. looking back thinking, hey, that's such a terrible mindset. And as Mm -hmm. they get older and starting to sort of reestablish a relationship with pop and realizing it wasn't the enemy. And mm-hmm. I think what's fascinating about your music is even in the confines of pop, it is very danceable. You can bang on your steering wheel. You can nod your head, tap your toes, however way you want to express yourself through mm-hmm. your music. But it's still saying something. And I think that's maybe the part that I know I was missing from pop music. I was so concentrated on the sound, not realizing that it could be just as honest and just mm-hmm. as forthcoming as any other style of music. I think we were trained that that was a dirty word in the the late 90s, early 2000s. And I mean, I remember being like, I loved Pink because Pink was like anti-pop. She was the anti-hero of pop music. And I mean, that like, just like a pill tune is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's so good and it's so real. And so I really identified with that over like a a Britney Spears, although huge NSYNC fan. So good. Um, <laughs> I could talk about like no strings attached the whole oh, time. <laughs> oh, so good. I had the dolls. Uh, I'll admit it. Nice. But I mean, there's there's something to be said. Like I listened to Savage Garden and Truly Madly Deeply is yes. one of the best pop songs ever written. You can't argue it because it's it's real. It's fucking real. And Pink, that record, just like a pills on, it's a fucking real record. And some of these other records were written by other people and maybe tens of people or twenties of people, but it doesn't matter if it makes you feel something and who am I to judge what anyone likes. It's just, it's put in a, in a way that's easy to digest. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes if you're going through something emotional, you don't need a thousand word essay. You need a hook. You need something that you can chant and you can repeat and you can see it in culture going back to the primitive ages of human. Like you always like imagine cavemen like chanting something or like, you know, cultures by a fire chanting something. And that is pop music. You know, it's easy. It's something that's simple, but it's got to be real for it to be, in my opinion, good. Lady Gaga, she writes some stuff that is definitely a little bit more on the superficial side, but a lot of what she writes is so real, and you can tell it comes from the heart. Beyonce's Lemonade is one of my favorite records of all times, favorite pop record of all time, because it is so real. Whether it's about her and Jay-Z or what happened with an elevator or what, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because that record speaks to the soul of that individual. I don't care if it was written by 80 people or it was written by just one, the point is, is that you can feel something that that record and the visual record, the whole package of it makes you feel something. And that that's important. And if pop music is the vessel to make someone feel something and to connect with other human beings and to to just share your stories, like that's got to be what it's about. I mean, you go to work, you get excited about a television show, you're around the water cooler talking about this show, everyone's seen it. I mean, Lost, Breaking Bad, shows like that. That's pop because it's popular. That's what that word means. It's not dirty. It's not sell your soul and get this. It's make something that's simple enough for other people to digest and connect from there and tell that story. You don't need to 
you don't need to say so much. That's what really drew me to your later songs, going from Hold Your Love to now Burning Up, not even realizing it had been so long since Hold Your Love and really waiting mm -hmm. to figure out what would be like the next step. I was excited to hear that, oh, wait, Dreamcatcher has new music. All right, cool. So let me hear this. And I actually remember very vividly driving a very simple task of going to pick up groceries one night mm -hmm. and playing this and just being like, oh, oh. And then at one point didn't realize, I'm like, wow, this song is actually really long, not realizing I had looped it. Because, <laughs> again, it was one of those that caught me by surprise. And that's something I always appreciate about your music and your approach to songwriting is with each song, with each new release, nothing sounds exactly the same. Like mm -hmm. every time something new comes out, it's like this next radical departure where everything just feels like a natural progression from mm -hmm. the thing before. So seeing as how Burning Up, even from songs like Apartment, what was the inspiration behind creating this particular song versus like, you know, songs that you had done from the debut album? Wonderlust was experimentation. It was us. What does it sound like for the three of us to be in a band, like in a room focused on that? What can we make? And then Wonderlust was, we had the idea from the very beginning. It took four years to make that record. It was really difficult to make. Everything bad that could happen did happen. You know, the band broke up. We had a robbery. We had mixes we didn't like. The songs weren't coming fast enough. Everything that could go wrong making a record went wrong. And that record was hard to listen to for me. It's a dark record. I right. love those songs. I'm extremely proud of them. And, you know, we kind of came away. We released the record in 2017. And a year later, we had been playing those songs for four years, like with some of what we used to play with Wonderlust. So for us, we were already ready to move on, whether people were or not. And we did a tour. We did like three days of a tour. And the first day, something my aunt blew up and I had to get it fixed. The second day, our tire popped. Oh, no. Had to get it fixed. The third day, our transmission blew. Oh, and God. so after coming off of Hold Your Love, which was a difficult writing process and a weird release and weird rehearsals for tours, but we were like starting to get back on our feet. And then, you know, the transmission blows and we are stuck in Binghamton, New York for like a week and a half. You know, we had to rent cars to get home with all of our gear. It was just the whole thing. And it happens on tour. I'm not complaining about it. It's another story. It's another thing that I'm going to be proud of in a few years. But it you right. know, really stung at the time. And so it was do the tour, fly our drummer home, fly our friend Chris Camrata in, who plays for a Dashboard Confessional. He was in there for tomorrow. Fly him in because we're writing with him. Because him and Micah also from there for tomorrow mixed hold your love. So we just want to keep working with them. We really like what they did to the record. Right. And so Chris flew in the day that our drummer flew out and we had to be back in Baltimore from New York. It was a logistical nightmare, the whole thing. And so we get home, Chris comes in the first two days. I just lost it, had, you know, a mental breakdown. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It happens, but it was just a whole thing. And it was, why am I doing this? What is this even about? And it wasn't until like the last few days of like a, a week long writing session that anything even started to happen. And we wrote this thing. It was the demo title was Springsteen. And it was this really slow thing with just these chords and like, you know, definitely what you would think post hold your love Dreamcatcher would be. And so we book a session to go 
you know, do a couple singles, which turned into burning up and underneath. Didn't know exactly what we were going to do, but Brian had taken this like Springsteen demo and chopped it up and made this like really crazy thing out of it, which was a lot of what is actually in the burn, like burning up the actual song. And so he came up with this thing from, you know, it was like a Phoenix rising from the ashes as far as the song went. And uh, we took it down to Chris and Micah and did a song with them. And that's kind of where it came from. Lyrically, it is legitimately about, do I want to be in this band? You know, the you started a fire, I'm trapped inside. It is legitimately me saying, I built this house that's now burning down and I can't get myself out. Like, I'm burning up, I can't get enough. That's this band, you know, it's this thing that might not be the healthiest, but I'm so invested and I can't pull myself away. And that that's what the song's about. So this tune that, you know, on the surface is poppy. It's kind of uplifting. Definitely one of the most uplifting sounding things that Dreamcatcher's done. Right. The lyrical content stems from all of that. As far as like pop music, I remember, you know, listening to Island from the starting line the first time and being like, oh, they sold out. And then I got it and I was like, oh, no, no, they're still cool. So if there is that notion of Dreamcatcher sold out, it came from the same exact place and that same intention that the first song we ever did came from, it's just packaged in a way that it's a little bit more fun. It's a little bit more accessible. I think with the new material, it really does sound like this is the band that you always were, but this is, I think, like the purest version of it. Yeah. I'm one of those people that I try my best to buck against that idea that you need to suffer for your art because it's hard work, but there's some things that you shouldn't have to like accept and think it's part of the process. But... I think, in a way, correct me if I'm wrong, that having gone through some of those uh, changes and going through all of these sort of like growing pains, mm-hmm. I don't know if this would have come out the same if there wasn't a little bit of that. And like I said, I think that this yeah. version of Dreamcatcher to me is my favorite because there's nothing left to lose. Like, it's fearless. That was the goal, and I appreciate that so much. Um But that was the goal. I'm done being scared of anything. I'm done hiding behind a guitar. I'm done wearing black. I'm just done with it. I'm done because I'm just older. I've gone through different things. And the biggest thing that I've learned, and we've got some songs that'll come out this fall, Burning Up and Underneath were really, really fun to create and to make. Uh, The next songs that we're going to put out were so freeing and burning up and underneath were freeing. But this is a whole different level to me what these next songs are, because I've learned that like I did have to go through these things to get here. But now that I've been through those things, I don't have to repeat it. I don't have to go through hell every time I need to write a song. And there was a really long time, especially with Hold Your Love, where it was if you're not going through something you can't write. You don't get that privilege. Right. And that's not it. You know, that's definitely not it because I've been through what I've been through and I'm a storyteller. I can tell a story any way that I, I choose to do so. Mm-hmm. And I found a lot of freedom in that. And I used to not feel that way. I remember writing Hold Your Love and being like, if I'm not so depressed that I want to get trashed and drive myself off the road, like I'm not a real artist. Like I'm not Van Gogh if I won't cut my own ear off. And it's like, you know what? I've already dabbled with that. I've been there. I've done that. I'm old enough to realize I don't have to go through that. But at the same time, as humans, we might go through it. You know, something terrible can happen tomorrow that I wouldn't see coming and I have to go through it. But, you know, I don't have to go through something or put myself through something just to create art. I can create it off of past experiences. And I think a lot of artists, especially these days, 
don't allow themselves to understand or to feel that you know it's a lot of suffering for the art and it's respectable i'm an artist i get it you know i mean we were told beethoven couldn't hear and he made the best music and van gogh cut off his ear for his woman friend but he made the best paintings and we're told that if we're not suffering we're not great i don't think we have to suffer to be great anymore i think if you have suffered use it if you haven't use it as long as you're real about it right exactly who cares how you got there Something I really appreciate is just how you've maintained this level of control with the releases. It would be still cool if it was released at once, but I really do like, I guess maybe drip feed for lack of a better term, which I feel like I could probably come up with a better one if I want to, but <laughs> I just sort of like how it's been released little by little where, you know, mm -hmm. a single's released and it's allowed to sort of build its momentum on its own and uh, less of a concern about, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? So like, you know, burning up was released. That was out for a while and that was gaining some traction. Really enjoyed mm -hmm. that. Then underneath, which we'll get into uh, momentarily. And then mm -hmm. that's been allowed to kind of cover its grounds. Like I said, the next one will be coming in the fall. And I really do like that that concept of just how with each of these songs we are given an i you know a, a chance to really listen to it listen to it again let us sink in and really process that and i think yeah. whether it was intentional or not i think it's a really interesting way and a really fun way to mm -hmm. both release and also experience the new music with the new songs from the very beginning of teasing we started putting that ss19 and if you follow, I've gotten ridiculously into fashion. It's terrible. But <laughs> if you follow like fashion magazines, you'll see like Chanel SS19. And that means bring summer 2019 collection. And so for us, 2019 is, I mean, you can call it an EP. There's four songs that'll be released. Two have already been out. There are, you know, SS19, spring, summer 19. And we're getting close to launching fall, winter 19. And so we're kind of taking it. I've just found inspiration in that. I thought it would be fun. I thought it would be different for us. We've never played the singles game and the industry has changed. The way that people consume music has changed mm -hmm. and we would be dumb not to join in on that. We, you've got to do something different and exciting. And we put out a full length and we're very proud of it. We're proud musically. We're proud creatively. We're proud of all of it. But it didn't check certain boxes that we hoped for. Every goal that we set for that record, it achieved. But there were secondary goals that we wish we would have hit with it. Right. And, you know, the record, when we released it, was four years old. The first song, you know, Believe in My Head, the first and last song on the record, were written right after Wonderlust was finished. Gun was written the day we got final mixes for Wonderlust. So that's how old that Hold Your Love was for us. And we put it out in 2013 or 2017, started writing in 2013. And so the record was super old. And we just immediately were just like, we're ready to be us. Like, we're ready to be 2019 Dreamcatcher, 2020 Dreamcatcher. We want to be the future us. We want to be the us that we've always envisioned and always sought out. And we finally found the producers that could take us there and that could challenge us and that could help us grow. And, you know, so that's just what we did. That's what we've been doing with these songs and what we're doing with the next batch is trying to push our boundaries because that's all that we can do as artists is attempt to grow. And I think the next two songs that are coming out are probably my favorites that we've done. 
I think underneath is the most dreamcatcher dreamcatcher song that we've written <laughs> up until the next two songs because it's dark like a lot of our other material and it's very honest and it just has what hold your love had but it's done in a different package that's just a little bit more accessible a little bit more exciting and I don't mean that as a disservice to hold your love or anything or oh no that not record. At all. But it's just, again, we're ready to stop wearing all black. We're ready to be in color and to be out and about and, you know, come out of this closet, so to speak, of just being passive or being scared. I'm done with that. I'm done being scared. I'm ready to just let it out. Whatever songs happen, happen. I don't care if it's this sounds like Billie Eilish or this sounds like Catfish in the Bottleman or the 1975. Like, I'm just so so over it i take inspiration from all those things and if it sounds like that great but the goal is this is the story i want to tell how do we do that make it us absolutely and you mentioned the the fashion like especially your presence on instagram and how you've been like doing posts and i'm not gonna lie at first i did ask myself like okay what's going on here because like i said i saw that like i said the ss19 and, you know, I obviously knew there was a point to it, which you explained eloquently. I just think it was really cool, not only marketing, but also just creating an anticipation of, okay, what's mm-hmm. happening here? And when it comes to album covers or artwork, most of the decisions made are deliberate. And there's something about the color red and, mm-hmm. like, your outfit and the statement that it makes because that same color red, it's so striking and so intense that was almost just as exciting as even just listening to the songs. So again, really remarkable stuff. Thank you. I mean, so the red, I mean, red is a color that's very emotional. Chris Camrata, who, you know, co-produced it. He looked at me when we were, again, when we were doing underneath and he was just like, I just see red. And I like looked at him and I was like, okay. And I just thought about it. And that just kind of like, just kept with me. And Red is, it's a very emotional, and our goal for these songs was we wanted to show a bold, edgy, seductive, sexy side to the band. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not 18. I don't want to act like an 18-year-old. You know, I'm a grown woman, and I want that to show. I want to allow myself to just be free. I don't, I don't need to wear a black jean jacket to be in a band. Like, that's just, that's not it. And I wanted something that was more fashion, more pop. And just more fun. I mean, why not wear red? Red screams, look at me. (laughs) And that is exactly what we're doing right now. We are screaming, look at us. We are ready to be looked at. Like, you know, I've talked to big game in the past and especially like in conversations with management and with the band themselves, you know, I'm just like, we're the shit, we're the best ever. And I mean it this time and I'm not afraid to say it to other people with the red thing. It's looking at our fans and saying, Hey, if you like this and you're still on the train, great. And if you're not, that's totally cool. The old stuff is still for you, but this is where we're at. We're ready to go. We are the band that we want to be. We're fulfilling the things that we've wanted to fulfill and it's time to go. And so red for us is very, very empowering. And it's something that we're kind of continuing throughout the rest of this year, just because it is, it is that color for us. I get on stage and I'm wearing this red suit now and it's, there's just a different attitude that it brings and a different boldness to the stage performance and how everything is attacked. And it's very intentional and very purposeful for what, what we're doing. 
Right. And I think that makes a, a world of difference. I know some people have different schools of thought about fashion and how certain things may not necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things. But when you are presenting your audience, uh, something that my girlfriend and producer, like we talk about a lot, is perception. And mm-hmm. how, you know, if you're working this particular field and trying to get up with a particular vibe, then, you know, it all has to work together to complement that, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Something I did want to ask, talking about your dynamic with the rest of the band, you know, with mm-hmm. Brian and Craig, um, how has that changed, especially with the new music, given that it is definitely a lot more pop oriented? Like, has that presented any new challenges regarding like the actual songwriting process itself? So Craig and I were in a band before called the Aviator Set, you know, pop punk stuff. It was it was fine. It was cool for the time. But I remember when Craig Brian and I first wrote music together and Brian was first in the room with me and Craig and I met Brian and Craig around the same time. And so I just remember this feeling. We wrote the song chords and verses and I was having so much. I was just struggling with the song so much. And it's probably like the poppiest, like most pop songwriting style song that that band had done. And I wrote it with Brian and Craig came in and like, I just, a couple weeks ago we were writing before this like most recent session with the two songs that we're going to put out in the fall. But we did this song before we went to Florida to do these two songs. And it just felt like the first time that we were in a room at, you know, 19 years old, 20 years old. And so for us, the feeling, the intention we started this band with is back withhold your love Craig left the band while writing and came back as we were putting the album out and the record was finished. He didn't play bass on the whole record. A lot of that record is about mine and Craig's relationship. It's a really heavy thing, but he came back and the support between the three of us is just, you know, it's just the three of us now, you know, we have a wonderful touring drummer, George, who is lovely, but the band is the three of us, the way that it started. And we used to be so admin of, we got to find the fourth guy. We got to find the fourth guy. And we don't have to have the fourth guy. If it happens naturally, great. But the three of us being dream catcher is what's important. And the three of us loving what we're doing and supporting each other is important. Craig was down there for burning up and underneath and played on those. But the next two that we're releasing, we wrote with him and took down to them to Chris and Mike and they turned out different. And Craig wasn't in the room with us, but he was there every night through text and everything. So we just have this awareness now of it used to be like, well, if you're not in the room or we need this drummer, we need that. It it's now just, it's free. It's, you know, if you have life going on, you got to handle your life. If you need us to not do something, we'll wait for you. If you need us to go do something and you need to do something else, that's cool. Right. It's much healthier. And it's, it's just, I think, our intention from the beginning of this band is finally where we're at, which we're all so incredibly grateful for just to be just to be free. Yeah. And not for nothing. I mean, and especially it's funny you know, talking about a lot of those bands that we listen to in our more formative years and being older. You know, like when I first listened to Wonderlust, I was living back home, you know, after being on my mm-hmm. own for a couple of years. And now listening to new stuff, you know, it's like I have my girlfriend and I haven't taken care of her kids. Like I have like my own family now. And realizing yeah. just like a whole lifetime has gone <laughs> through mm-hmm. since that release. And you know, like I said, you get older, you're you're adults, like your people. And with that, mm-hmm. of course, comes those 
And this is the part where I kind of sighed myself because I, you know, remember so very vividly all those things I said about growing up and how we weren't going to do certain things and we're mm-hmm. never going to change for being like, you know, like life's short and, you know, there's but so much time. So I think that's actually really cool that you and the rest of the band have that dynamic to be able to give yourselves that freedom to be mm-hmm. able to do those things. And again, if people, if other bands can do it, great. If not, that's also great because, you know, different strokes and all, but... I think that's something that is very important in allowing each other that space to be able to be involved or if they have to pull back. So at least that way, there's not the extra tension that could maybe hinder progress. Yeah, it's just a different level of maturity that we're bringing to each other and a different level of understanding. And, you know, it kind of goes with this. Like, I remember being a kid and like listening to, you know, Warped Tour bands and being like, telling my dad like this is real music like punk is real music they don't use backing tracks they don't use any of that bullshit like this is (laughs) this is the real shit and the last time my dad saw us play he's driving me and brian back to his place and he's like so uh you guys are using backing tracks i thought that was selling out and i just looked at him and i was like oh touche but at the same time it's just you grow to realize that sometimes like these things that you didn't you just didn't understand. Right. It's not about it being good or bad. Like it's about you understanding. Sometimes, sometimes bands can't afford to have a hired drummer and a hired keyboard player and a hired this and that. Sometimes a band can afford a MacBook and some, you know, cables. <laughs> and if that's how you have to do your show, then do your show. The important thing is that you're performing and you're honest about it, you know, not about the rest. And so it's that level of maturity that we just have to take to everything. We're incredibly serious and more serious than we've ever been, but we also just have this level of understanding of what we're responsible for, what we have to do, and how we have to treat each other to to move forward. That is something that I often wish I could tell maybe younger version of me, and I don't know how you would tell younger Chelsea. Like yeah. you said, those things that oh, absolutely. You, you swore up and down, like this is the way it is, this is the way it's always going to be, and just realizing the world doesn't always work that way. And a lot of times... Listening to certain songs, like, I swear I knew what it meant. And, you know, it's very real then. Like, that's your world, mm-hmm. and that's how you experience it. And yeah. then, you know, there's always now, especially since we're coming across so many anniversaries of all these albums and, like, the oral history of, you know, insert favorite punk band here, then going through them, like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, I didn't realize that's what was going on. And yeah. having that better understanding of what you thought the world was, but to that band, and especially if, like I said, you're touring and... You're going across the world, and I've never necessarily done that, but to have to then, like, pack up everything and to travel, like, that in and of itself is a a very wild experience, I'd imagine. So, when you explain things like, you know, the transmission of your van blowing or having to, like, find ways to, like, fly band members home, like, those are very real things that, as an adult, being like, oh, of course that makes sense, but as a kid, I'd be like, really? Like, that's the, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting how it changes and how your perspective changes when you get older. And again, that's something so perfect about music and, you know, why music has always been my best friend is because Mm -hmm. whether I'm 13 crying about some boy who won't look at me, you know, or whatever, or I'm 28 crying about my transmission and owing thousands of dollars in whatever debt music can morph to mean different things. And so a song that, you know, I thought quit your life by MXPX, for instance, when I was a kid, I was like, Oh, that's so romantic. Like 
we can have a house and a dog and it'll be lovely. And as you know, me at 28 years old, I don't want a house or a dog right now. I want to go play in clubs and, you know, drink too much gin while playing a show. Like (laughs) that's, that's what I'm interested in. It's so, it's so, it's so interesting that music can be these different things, but that song still means a lot to me. Absolutely. And you know, that's just music. So cool. It's so cool. That's why I'm glad that we're having this chat because I realized what it was I missed was really just sitting down and absorbing music and everything it has to offer. And mm-hmm. then now being older and now the kids, cause you know, like my stepdaughter, she, she's got her tablet and you know, she plays mm-hmm. like these, it's like Nickelodeon kids radio or something like that. Oh, and, yeah. and the thing is like, she's brilliant. And something we're talking about the color red earlier with like, the new releases one day i'm just making dinner she comes in with a tablet because what happens is the songs when they play they don't tell you who the artist is so she'll come to me and it's like mm-hmm. oh would you mind shazamming this for me so i can figure out who it is so that's yeah. basically become like our nightly ritual of as soon as she walks in with the music plans like all right let me pop up the app real quick but she asked me something that was really profound and i thought it was really cool now that we had the discussion about color she came mm-hmm. in one day and she's like this song what color do you think of when you listen to it and i oh. was like like she's like nine years old. I'm like I've never been asked this question before. Such a great question. Crap. She 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 shut me down. Like because I really was like that's a really damn good question. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing question. I didn't understand until uh, Beyonce's Lemonade. Like to be honest, I didn't get it until I remember being like staying up till like midnight or one o'clock or three o'clock, whatever time it was, to watch Lemonade on HBO. Like the night it premiered. And I remember watching the whole thing and being like, one, flabbergasted by the music because it was incredible. Yeah. But two, the visuals, everything about that being a visual album, like that's groundbreaking. I mean, when you look at like all those shows that are like, oh, the best of the 1990s or the 2000s, when they say the 2010s and they're doing a music section, Lemonade obviously will be on it. Mm hmm. Those visuals were so beautiful and perfect and you could feel these colors and like, you know, there's a lot of artists that have like synesthesia, if I say that correctly, but where you can, you hear things and you see colors. Right. And have that, I definitely wish I did because I think it would be super cool. But I love that idea of hearing something and it making you feel this way. And a lot of times now when I'm listening to music and I feel a certain way, I kind of research that feeling and what kind of colors correspond with that kind of feeling. And like, I'll change my little hue light in my bedroom to like a blue, if a song kind of feels blue or like a purple. And there's just something about immersing yourself in it. And as a child, you're able to, you have this imagination, you can still play. And as an adult, you can probably still do it, but we're not like societally programmed to do that anymore. Right. There is something about changing the color of your bedroom just to, remind you of a song that makes you feel like a kid again for five minutes and it's it's very soothing because i think at that point i mean i'm saying this now the benefit of hindsight you know there are certain things i think as kids like you said we're societally like you haven't been exposed to all these things so at that point it's just kind of raw and whatever you feel like you feel that and I'm always envious of people who can tap into that even as they get older. Because like I said, with all these things going on, we get hung up on real life stuff. And then life experiences happen, both the good and the bad. So that changes. 
But it's mm-hmm. actually kind of funny that with her, it's like I've sort of been rediscovering not only just my appreciation for music, but even pop music. Because a lot of stuff that plays on her radio app is like a lot of pop stuff. And especially a lot of new stuff mm-hmm. that I don't think I would have been as perceptive to you a couple of years ago. Because I would have been like, nah, that's again, that whole, oh, that's not real music. You know, let me mm-hmm. sit in the corner you know, in the dark, and, it, you know, it's like, all right, I may still do that just for nostalgia's mm-hmm. sake, but still, I, I just love that we're finally, I'm, I'm hoping so anyway, getting to a point where we see pop music for not just mindless entertainment, that it can still say something, yeah. and, you know, I love that even in what used to be, like, you know, I've been listening to, like, a lot of, like, Tegan and Sarah, and, like, St. Vincent, and, like, these artists who... Yes, did maybe come from more like indie rock vibes, but have embraced pop music and kind of morphed it and made it this not necessarily new thing, but made it more meaningful than it may have been in the last couple of years. Yeah, first and foremost, uh, St. Vincent is my favorite. And if Annie Clark would ever want to make a Dreamcatcher record, I would adore that. Funny enough, that solo and like burning up, that reminds me of a St. Vincent rip. Oh, yeah, that was very much on purpose. I looked at Brian and I was like, just (laughs) St. Vincent, just do St. Vincent. So Annie Clark, if you ever hear this, hit me up. Have my people call your people. That would be (laughs) breathtaking. Like, I would lose my, if I had a call from St. Like, Annie was like, look, hey, I want to work on your stuff. I'd probably drop the phone and just try my best not to, like, audibly scream. (laughs) I would die. That is a goal of of ours like a legitimate goal is to one day be able to just make a song that's it but there is something about that like mass seduction my record of the year when it came out brilliant so brilliant so should have won should have won all the grammys because it's very honest there's something about it that even in her other work it's more pop than her other work Mm -hmm. it's more accessible than her other work and i'm a huge from from marry me to mass seduction i'm I love all of it. She's brilliant. She's one of the best of all time. Probably the best woman artist of this era. She's brilliant. But Beyonce, I mean, brilliant. You have these women that are creating this, you know, and you can see it in television too. I mean, you look at Phoebe Waller-Bridge and what she's done with Fleabag and with Killing Eve. Uh And you see, and that's, it's so exciting to me as a woman as well, that we're getting to this point where we're seeing these different perspectives and they're valid and they're validated more importantly. And so I think that's, what's exciting about pop, whether it's music or television or film or whatever, is that there's more inclusion. There's, I mean, Ariana Grande, thank you. Next is one of the most real records I've ever heard. Like you think about what that woman went through and what she's saying in that song and the fact that she is standing up to say, no, I'm going to be by myself for a little bit and figure myself out. We didn't get that as young women in the 90s or prior, you know, and in the 90s, we at least had like Alanis Morissette and Natalie and Brulia. Like we had these women that were starting to be like super badass. But now we're in the 2010s going into the 2020s and we're seeing these women that aren't afraid to say I'm this, I'm that, I feel this way, I feel that way. You're seeing a lot more of that. And that is what's most inspiring about the pop genre to begin with is that women aren't, we're not sitting there saying like, this is what you want me to say. So this is what I'm singing about. Oh, a boy. Oh, whatever. We're singing about real shit. (laughs) And if you're not singing about real shit, then what's the point? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that's, that's it. 
you know, sing about real shit, be a real person. That's what people want. This is the 2020s, in my opinion, are going to be like the 1990s. And if you look at culture and how history evolves, the 60s and the 90s were very similar, 30 years apart. The 90s and the 2020s seem like they're going to be very similar. They're going to be alternative. They're going to be about people wanting to stick it to the man. They're going to be a want, they're going to be about wanting to fight back. They're going to be about cultural revolution. That's what everything is trending towards and what I'm very hopeful about. Pop music in the 90s was fucking so good. <laughs> and the 2020s we're going to get back to that. You look at bands like Muna, I mean what they've done with their their previous record and what we've heard from the newest stuff is brilliant. Harry Styles Sign of the Times brilliant. Kesha praying brilliant and if that's what we're starting at when we start getting into the meat of the 2020s and what culture is doing is when i mean 1975 love it if we made it another song that has to be put into this category we're going into something culturally and musically and pop culture it's gonna be fucking awesome it's gonna be real and that is again what's important I sincerely hope so. And I think when you mentioned St. Vincent and, of course, wanted to work with her, I think that's also what makes music now versus maybe a little bit, like I said, in the last decade or maybe before that when we were younger, is mm-hmm. I think there's that fearlessness also just comes from, of course, you know, women and other marginalized groups being given the freedom to make music that is theirs, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, whatever genre it may be. And yeah. it's always been there, but just now the willingness, because I'm seeing collaborations of artists that still kind of blow my hair back or what's left of it, um, you know, that you didn't get before. And I love that there's just sort of this slow breaking down of genres where Blink-182 doing like a remix with Steve Aoki or like, you yeah. know, this kid from out of nowhere who made like country song with like a trap beat. It's like at this point, it's yeah. at, at the end of the day, it's music. And if it moves you, great. And if it's saying something and hopefully something positive, then that's also Mm -hmm. great. But I think what's really going to define later generations, and of course, you know, my kids are really fortunate because by the time they're older, they won't have those hangups that we did about, oh, so this these people are working together. Well, that doesn't sound the same. Like it's It all is just music and you're inspired Mm -hmm. by what you're inspired by. So what if it doesn't fit a particular mold? Who cares about genres? You know, it's kind of the same as like, you know, caring about borders, you know, like not to be political in any way at at all. But like, it's just places to be and things to go and things to see and all of that. Like, who cares about what you label yourself as long as you are your authentic self? You know, everything is fluid, you know, gender, sexuality. Right, exactly. Music, you know, pop music is... Circus Survive, it's Beyonce, it's Taking Back Sunday, it's St. Vincent, it's all of it. Pop is an overarching thing. It just means popular culture. It's the national, it's Dua Lipa, it's the Grammys, and it's the AP Awards, and it's a punk basement show, and it's Madison Square Garden sold out. Like Pop music is everything if you allow it to be like you don't have to genreize it that's why i say that dreamcatcher is a pop band because hopefully we get to be popular one day but the goal is that it resonates with enough people that we get to connect that's it i don't want to be popular as in like i want 
to be famous. I want TMZ following me around. That sounds miserable. <laughs> like I see, I see art. Like I see actors all the time that are like just out shopping with their brothers and there's paparazzi people taking pictures of them or stealing videos from their friends' Instagrams. Like that's, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that like, you're just connecting with people on an artistic level. You're making them feel things through your work and they feel a certain way back. And it's that communication that intrigues me that I'm so interested in and that I think pop is good for. I think both literally and figuratively, once we stop putting up walls and just let things exist, we will be better off as a society. And you can take that yeah. as you will, but I think that's really what it comes down to. And yeah. I just really excited to not only see what comes next for you, especially with these next two songs, but even releases after that. And I'm glad that we've had a time to finally really sit and chat because, like I said, I've appreciated each step and the fact that you've been able to, you know, you and your band emerge from these setbacks and continue making great music. So, again, I, I thank you very much for sharing your story and I look forward yeah. to where this leads. I appreciate you having me and all the kindness you've shown us through the past years. And uh, I think my final thought on all that is uh, if you want to be free, be free, man. Before we go, though, I do have to absolutely, you know, make sure everybody knows where they can, you know, listen to your stuff, where they can find you. So that way, all the stuff that, you know, we've been gushing about, people can hear that as well. Yeah. So if you want to find us on Spotify or Apple Music, just search Dreamcatcher, D-R-M-C-T-H-R. If you want to connect with us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, it's Dreamcatcher BND. So D-R-M-C-T-H-R BND. And uh, let's chat it up. Thank you, Chelsea, for hanging out. That will do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue. For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.